Good morning, everyone. Now, I've been accused of talking fast, and I've tried to slow down yesterday, but today I only have 35 minutes, so I'm going to be talking fast, okay? <laughs> Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this privilege of being able to come before you on this beautiful Sabbath day. We thank you for the testimonies and the songs. And as we approach this delicate topic, I pray that your Holy Spirit may be with me. May we be with those who are listening here today and by television and radio. Thank you for this opportunity, and we just praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The story is told by Dr. Carl Menninger, a psychiatrist, of a man standing on a busy Chicago street. He stood there solemnly, and as people would walk by, the person nearest to him, he would point to them and say, guilty. Then he would put his hand back down. This is a true story. He would stand there for a little while longer, and another person would walk by near to him, and he'd point and say, guilty. The people would look at him, they'd look at other people, they'd look away, and then they'd scurry along. Finally, one man said, but how did he know? We laugh. But every single one of us sitting here today are guilty. Do you know what we're guilty of? Sin, lying, cheating, gossiping, criticizing, backbiting, killing with our tongues. We're guilty of sins, brothers and sisters. And you might be wondering, why would a psychologist be talking about sin? Well, I wish I could take the credit, but I can't. I read a book probably about two months ago. No, it was more than that, maybe six months ago, written by a psychiatrist who I don't think is a Christian at all. And the title of the book was Whatever Became of Sin. I thought that was very interesting. And as I read through the book, I said to myself, you know, this sin problem is one that the enemy has also used that's developed into other areas as well, and it will make more sense as we go on. I want to share this quote that Dr. Manager mentioned in his book. You'll be reading it on the screen, and it says, It, meaning sin, was a word once in everyone's mind, but now rarely ever heard. Wrong things are being done, we know, but is no one responsible, no one answerable for these acts? Anxiety and depression we all acknowledge, and even vague guilt feelings. But has no one committed sins? Where did sin go? The word went away. It has almost disappeared. The word along with the notion. Isn't it interesting that a non-Christian psychiatrist would be talking about this, brothers and sisters? I thought it was very interesting. We don't like to talk about sin. We may mention it here and there, even though the Bible says we've all sinned and done what? You know, we throw that phrase around and we say it, but do we really realize that? I wonder. And we look through the Bible, we see that God wasn't afraid of sin. He would address sin in, in different ways. He would ask questions, like in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve took the fruit, he came and asked questions, did he not? We have um, Nathan appearing to David, giving him the parable, and David realized he was incriminating himself. Even Jesus, we talk about how loving Jesus was and compassionate, but even Jesus didn't stay away from talking about sin. At the woman at the well, before he gave her more information, he says, yeah, you not, you don't, not only is this husband not yours, but you've had five husbands before this. 
And then the woman who was almost stoned, he was gracious and compassionate with her, but then he said what? Go in, sin no more. And then the man that he healed at the pool, and then afterwards he saw him later, he said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So God was not afraid of dealing with sin, but we are. And we know the um, general definition for sin. It is what? We as Adventists really know this. Sin is the transgression of the law. First John 3, 4. And I'm not making fun of that, but that's, we know that. We can quote that. But sin is also other things. James 4, 17 says that he that knoweth to do good and doeth not, it is what? And not only is sin doing bad things, sin is also when we don't do the things we should do. Isaiah talks about cease to do evil and learn to do when we don't do good, when we don't help our brothers and sisters that are less fortunate. We are committing sin. These are the things that we're staying away from and Dr. Manager was concerned about that. Now there are a few things that I think that have contributed to us getting to this point where we don't want to talk about sin. The enemy, number one, doesn't want us to talk about it. He wants to keep us deceived because if he can keep us deceived and we don't talk about sin, we won't go to the Savior looking for help. This is a quote you will read with me on the verse, that, on the screen that the enemy talks about when, 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 um, oh, that's focused on when we talk about sin. It is Satan's studied plan to clothe sin with garments of light to hide its deformity and make it what? That's his plan. And if he makes it attractive, we won't talk about it as sin, brothers and sisters. The other thing that I see happening is that we're fearful of offending people. Now, I am not saying and encouraging us to offend people on purpose, but sometimes this fear of offending makes us careful of pointing things out. And this is happening even in our dear church, Christian church and the Seventh-day Adventist church. But this woman, who was actually a Catholic, I don't know what exactly, a theologian or something, she, she wrote a book called Speaking of Sin. I thought it was real interesting. And this is what she said in regards to offending. It's on the screen. Read it. The language in mainline churches is about church growth and outreach. Nothing wrong with that. Many of these churches are losing members and they cannot afford language that might put people off. People do not want to hear about sin and repentance. People want to hear about what? Is grace and forgiveness important? But we need both, brothers and sisters. Not just grace and forgiveness, but also sin and repentance. We also are hesitant in talking about sin because we fear we're going to make the wrong judgments about people. And we should be hesitant about that. But sometimes in our fear of making the wrong judgments, we may miss something. Muhammad Atta, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name well, but he was the mastermind behind September 11th, 2001. He came into an office in Florida and he wanted a loan to buy these crop dusters. He got angry at the woman and said, what about if I went behind the desk and slit your throat? Then she had an aerial picture of Washington and he started asking her questions about the security with Washington and, and he also did some other things and she, didn't re she was so nice to him and didn't say much. She was interviewed on one of these programs, I think ABC to News Tonight or one of the other. It's in this book I mentioned earlier about, um, remember I mentioned yesterday the book uh, one Nation Under Therapy? 
the psychiatrist talks about in there, about how Americans have gotten so nice and don't want to talk about and point out what's wrong. And the woman said on the show, why didn't you address this thing? And she says, oh, he was a foreigner from out of town, and so I thought he was trying to adjust to coming to, to the American culture. You say that, brothers and sisters, but we do the same thing sometimes. Someone is doing something wrong, but we're fearful of making a wrong judgment, and sometimes we need to say something and do something, and we don't know what we can prevent by saying or do something. Am I saying we should go around walking, acting as judges? No. But there are some things I heard C.D. Brooks say, we're not judges, we're just fruit inspectors. <laughs> Amen? And when you see the fruit, you can call the fruit for what it is. I hope you all still love me after this, because my other two talks were so nice. Everybody told me how much they liked it, but maybe today I may offend some people, but that's okay. The Lord has placed this on my heart to speak about. The other thing that I think has affected us with sin is my dear colleagues, psychologists. You know what um, Dr. Menninger talks about in his book? He says, certain things that we used to call sin now has a diagnostic label. We have a diagnosis for everything. And I ran across this writing by Dr. Abercrombie. He's with the Biblical Counseling Institute. Listen to what he says. These are examples of how we now have labels for things. She isn't a drunkard. She has the disease of alcoholism. He isn't sexually immoral. He's a sexual addict. The child is not disobedient to his parents, but he has oppositional defiant disorder with ADHD. She isn't bitter and unforgiving, she has depression. He isn't a murderer, he has bipolar disorder and is not, was not competent by the time, at the time of his crime. You see what's happening, brothers and sisters, as we don't talk about sin? And this is what really um, gets to me. Um, Lord, help me as I say this, but I see this happening in our pulpits too. I see our pastors sometimes turning into counselors in our pulpits as opposed to pointing out what's right and wrong. Now, there's a way to do that, and I'm going to mention that. Um, but this quote shows it real well on the screen if you read it with me. There has been a strong tendency for the preacher to move into the field of pastoral counseling. Basic to most techniques of counseling is an avoidance of any response that might impute wrong or moral judgment. The quote goes on, this attitude has frequently been translated into the pulpit presentation of the preacher. No longer are right and wrong clearly defined, and congregations are left to their what? Uncertainty and sin. I see this happening more and more, brothers and sisters, and I have a burden because I see as a psychologist and I hear the stories that are resulting from us not pointing out what's right and wrong. That's why this is a burden for me, because I see the end result. In society and in the church, we're moving away from this. And what happens is that instead of calling out sin, we start to place the blame for sin on external factors. There was once an American university professor who was caught making obscene phone calls. You know what he ended up doing? He ended up checking himself in for treatment, and he blamed it on his past childhood abuse. External factors. We've heard of stories of priests being found molesting children, correct? 
One particular preach went, priest went to therapy for two years, and at the end they asked, well, what did you learn from this? He says, well, I think my childhood was fixated at age seven or eight, and that's why I was molesting these children. The sad part is that might have been related to it. They put him back into the parish, and guess what he continued to do? Molest children. It helps to call it sin, brothers and sisters and to deal with it. Not only is this affecting us in this way, when we don't deal with sin, it has an impact on other people. Do you remember the story of Joshua and Achan? Now, if Joshua was a different kind of leader, what do you think would have happened to Israel? After they were defeated and Joshua went before the, the Lord, falling on his face and saying, what's happened? And the Lord said, there's sin in the camp. Thank God Joshua pointed it out, was able to follow, and Achan confessed, sadly, what happened to, was sad what happened to Achan's family. But the point is, it was because of sin in the camp that they were not able to overcome this particular nation that they were fighting. Could that be happening in our camps today, brothers and sisters? Could there be some things going wrong, not only in our churches, but in our homes, in our offices, in our ministries, because we're not dealing with sin? I just wonder, brothers and sisters, and this is something that's a real burden for me. I'm saying this on television. I prayed about whether I should do it, and I'm going to do it. I'm getting more and more calls from people who have been mistreated by leaders, taken advantage of, and they're leaving the churches. They're in despair. They're distraught because nothing has been done with the leader. I'm saying it because I'm, 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 I'm frustrated with it. I'm going to be honest with you. We're not dealing with sin. We're transferring them from one church to the other. We're doing other things, and we're not dealing with sin. And people are hurting and dying as a result of this, and this is bothersome to me. When these individuals are not dealt with and when sin is not called out, what effects does, does this have? Young people are looking at this. I remember somebody saying to me that they're concerned that young people may be disfellowshipped when, they're, when they, they do things pregnant and all of that, but when the adult does it, it's a whole nother story. And young people are looking on and saying, you're going to get on me and brother such and such and elder such and such is doing this? Brothers and sisters, we have to change. And if this psychiatrist sees it, surely we should see it. And then I'm not going to just talk about the leaders. There are many of us sitting in here today who have secret sins that no one knows about. And it's eating us like a cancer, brothers and sisters. We need to address these things. Listen to Dr. Manager, what he says. This is what led him to write the book. He says, as a psychiatrist, he was seeing more and more individuals who were displaying symptoms of physical sickness, which were rooted in a sense of guilt, both false and real guilt. He observed that when he was able to get the individuals with whom he dealt to open up through confession, confession, they experience great relief. Remember, this is a secular psychiatrist. Dr. Menninger wondered why more was not being said about sin and the need for confession and repentance in our churches. He wondered why sin was not being taken seriously in our churches and wondered at whatever became of sin. So this is a psychiatrist, as me, I'm a psychologist, but we see the tail end of not dealing with sin. Confession is so important. 
Sadly, with these secret sins, when we don't deal with them and talk about it, this deals with, leads to a lot of hypocrisy. And the Bible tells us, he that covers his sin shall not prosper, but who confesseth and forsaketh them shall have what? Mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. Many of us are suffering from troubled consciences. Many of you sitting here are suffering from troubled consciences and you don't realize the need to, to recognize your sin, to acknowledge your sin, and to confess your sin. Consider the situation of David. In Psalms 32, 3 and 4, you'll read it on the screen, he says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Psalm 32, 3 and 4. This is a clear example of what happens to some people when sin is not called out by themselves or by others. If Nathan did not come to David and give him the story about the sheep, what do you think would have happened to biblical history? It would have taken a different turn. But because David knew what he had done wrong, but they said, I think I've read it for about a year, he just kind of went along with life. I think I have it in the next slide. I don't know if I have the time period, but the next slide will show you. It says, David refused to confess his sin even to himself. For a while after his sin in regard to Uriah and Bathsheba, he lived in apparent security. Oh, nobody knows what I've done. I'm fine. You know, I've covered it up with the death of Uriah. I'm just fine. But he was not free from mental conflicts and physical suffering. So during that time when nobody, he thought, knew about the sin and he's going along, he's suffering not only mentally but physically. Do you know that some people are suffering from physical illnesses because of guilt and not dealing with sin? I've seen it time and time again as I've spoken with people. This guilt can really weigh down on us because we're not calling out sin in our own lives. David experienced peace, a sense of relief after confessing his sin due to Nathan calling it out. I was watching a program on Dare to Dream, and I believe it was Dr. Lewis interviewing this ministry called Coming Out Ministries, and it was a group of ex-homosexuals. Um, and what stood out for me in, in this topic about calling out sin was one of the gentlemen, I think it was, or the woman, there was two men and two women, one of them said, I was um, reading the Bible one day, I'm not quoting him exactly, but he was reading something and it hit him. You know, what I'm doing is wrong. And when this thought hit him, that's when he started moving towards saying, I need to change this lifestyle. And this is another aspect of calling out sin. We need to be doing it in our own lives. That little white lie that you told the other day, it's a sin, brothers and sisters. When that woman walked by and you said something about her that she knows nothing about, it's a sin, brothers and sisters. When you made that little number change on your tax form, that's a sin, brothers and sisters. The list goes on and on and on. Sin is something that we need to call out. And pastors, as with Nathan, they have the role of helping ministers to see the sin. Listen to what Dr. Manager says as we show it on the screen. 
millions of words have been set down regarding what the parishioners should hear. God's mercifulness, his goodness, his expectations of mankind to forgive and love, these themes support the faith. We need them. But they will not reach the heart of some listeners for whom the roar and rumble of guilt drown out the reassurances. Do you all understand what that's saying? Some people are sitting there and the guilt is just there and we can talk about the, his goodness and his expectations of mankind to forgive and all of that. But they're sitting there and the roar of guilt is just affecting their minds. He goes on to say with the quote, the clergyman stands in a special place because he is a what? Man of God. If the minister says this is clearly sin, there is a solution Relief from a sense of guilt then begins, how quickly? Automatically. Now notice what he says here. Not only should you point out the sin, but you should also point out the what? So it's not only about getting up and blaming people on the head with all the things they've done wrong. People must also know there is a solution as well. Understanding this concept helps me to better understand some of the quotes I've read in Spirit of Prophecy about this. It's like Menninger almost picked up Spirit of Prophecy. At some point when I was reading his book, I was saying, hmm, she must have read some of this. Listen to this quote. Oh, he must have read some of this. Listen to this quote. You'll see it on the screen. If ministers who preach the gospel would do their duty and would be ensamples to the flock of God, their voices would be lifted up like a trumpet to show the people their transgression and, the, excuse me, the house of Israel their sins. Ministers who exhort sinners to be converted should distinctly define what sin is and what conversion is. She said this, he said, she said this way before Menninger wrote this thing about sin. But as I went through Spirit of Prophecy, there are a lot of quotes that she mentioned. I couldn't put them all up. Where she talks about the need to talk about sin. And if Menninger could read this, he would be excited to know that there is a church who has a messenger who tells us that we should deal with sin. But are we falling on our duty? I'm wondering, brothers and sisters. And this is not only for ministers, this is for teachers. This is for parents, this is for counselors such as myself. You know, when I was going through graduate school, they told me, don't put your values on the um, counselees when you talk to them. Don't talk about what you believe, don't talk about what you think is right, no, none of your values. And I wrote a paper, and in my paper I says, you know what, the counseling field is full of values. And the teacher didn't like what I wrote, but he says, Magna, I couldn't give you anything but an A+. That was a wonderful paper. But I wanted them to see when you talk about these things that it's, it's not just values religiously, it's also values secular as well. They have secular values as well. So anyway, I don't know how I got on that, but some people don't like the idea of talking about sin. And when we bring this up, they say, you know, we shouldn't get into sin. And, but then, and there are consequences for this. Look at the quote on, um, the, that, on the screen from Testimonies 3. Page 328, those who have in the fear of God ventured out to faithfully meet error and sin, calling sin by its right name, have discharged a disagreeable duty with much suffering of feelings to themselves. But they get the sympathy of few and suffer the neglect of many. So when you decide that you want to talk about sin, be prepared for the consequence. 
okay? However, we must point out sin in the manner that Christ did it. Very important. In 1 Timothy 4.2, the uh, Apostle Timothy says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. That last part is really important. Notice he says, with all long-suffering. The servant of the Lord in Acts of the Apostles says that this has to do with revealing the patience and the love of Christ. If you're not going to use or ask God for his patience and his love, do not call out sin, brothers and sisters, because you will do more harm than good. She goes on to say in Acts of the Apostles, you'll read the quote on the screen, to hate and reprove sin and at the same time to show pity and tenderness for the sinner is a difficult attainment. We must guard against undue severity. What? We have to guard against undue severity toward the wrongdoer, but we must be careful not to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Can we do this on our own, brothers and sisters? It's a balanced walk that we need to have. Only the Holy Spirit can give us that balance where we love the sinner, but we lovingly go to them and talk to them when the Holy Spirit leads us to talk to them and share about what they're doing wrong. In fact, I believe I've read in one of the testimonies where she says, if you're not willing to lay down your life for that person, you need to think twice about going to talk to them. Because you have to have the right type of motive and the love in your heart. So that is very important. I truly believe, that's why this is a burden on my heart. I truly believe that some of the heartache and the difficulties we're experiencing in our lives as Christians would we redeem if we spent more time calling out sin. We need to be shaken and convicted as Christians when we come to church when we spend time with God alone, all of these we need to be in situations where we're shaken up to see ourselves. We've been hearing a call for revival. Thank God for Ted, President Wilson who's been telling us we need revival. But brothers and sisters, revival is also connected to calling out sin. And we look through the Bible and we see when John the Baptist came, he called out sin and others, when revival occurred amongst God's people, connected with that was also calling out sin. And we have to put the two together. Some of us are shackled by sin. We're in prison. And unless we identify the sin in our own life, we will never get out. Another thing about calling out sin that I think is important is that, do, do you believe that we can have victory over sin? Amen. I'm glad to hear that because there's some people who don't believe that. Because we don't see it happening a lot, we think it can't happen. But I believe we can. But the way that we, we get to calling out sin is by first what? I, I'm sorry, victory over sin is by first identifying sin and calling out sin. If we don't do that, we won't have victory. None of these things can occur without God's power. The Holy Spirit has to convict us when our sin is revealed, and then the Spirit drives us to repentance. Sweet repentance. We are told in Steps to Christ, we can no more repent without the Spirit of Christ to awaken the conscience than we can be pardoned without Christ. Every conviction of our sinfulness 
is an evidence that his spirit is moving upon our hearts. Every time we are convicted of our sin, brothers and sisters, it is because the Holy Spirit is moving on our hearts, and you don't have to be a Christian for that to happen. I heard a story about a woman who was dealing with anxiety and depression. I read about it somewhere, wondering, why am I dealing with all this? She went through all the counseling and everything, and she found out, you know why I'm dealing with this? Because I'm constantly violating my conscience. She says, when, this, when my friends do things and I talk about them, I'm violating my conscience. When I go to the office and I borrow someone's pen and I take it home and I don't return it, I'm violating my conscience. And she says, you know what? I decided to clean my conscience. She said, I decided to start looking at things that I believe in. This person wasn't even a Christian. And I decided I'm going to start watching. I believe in this, I need to follow this. I believe in this, I need to follow this. Her anxiety and depression eventually went away just by her, in her own life, calling out sin. And that's why I entitled my talk with you this morning, It Helps to Call Out Sin. It really does, brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And she says in Steps to Christ that when we contemplate what Christ has done for us and we focus on the cross and we see and understand God's goodness, it helps us to see who we are and then we start to see our sinfulness and we're drawn towards him. That's why Jesus says, if I will be lifted up, I will do what? Draw all men unto me. And as God draws men and women to him, we see ourselves and we go to the cross, we go to Christ and he helps us. I want to add that piece. It's not just about calling out sin. It's about saying, Father, I have this problem in this area. I'm coming to you. You have the solution. Give me that spirit of repentance that I can change. Um, and, and you know, yesterday I mentioned a, a time that is coming upon us, and, and the Holy Spirit has impressed me with this as well based on what I've read. There's a time coming upon us that if we've not dealt with our sins, they will come back as a mountain to crush us. If we've not confessed and repented, when that time comes and the world becomes crazy and our mediator steps out, Jesus steps out, and he pronounces he that is unjust still and filthy still and righteous still, if we've not dealt with our sins, if we've not called out sins, we're in trouble. I don't want to scare you because I don't believe in scare tactics to get people, but I just want to help you realize that we are soon coming to that time. And if that... If anything else, that should be more of a motivation to say, Lord, show me my sins. If someone comes to me and tells me, Magna, you have a problem in this area, help me not to get defensive. Help me not to be too sensitive. And Father, on the other hand, help me to want to help my brothers and sisters enough that when I see them going in the right way, give me your love that I can go to them and say, such and such, this is happening, I see this, I love you, I want you to get the help you need, is there anything I can do? They're both sides, brothers and sisters, but we have to make sure that we get to that point where we love each other enough to call out sin, and then we ourselves are open enough to the Holy Spirit to call out sin. You know, there's a song. Uh, I wanted my girlfriend to sing it with me. I was going to surprise you all, but she didn't want to come and sing it with me. She's here today. Have you heard this song? I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees them from the accursed load. I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stains while in his blood most precious till not a spot 
remains. Do you all know that? Can you all sing it with me? I'll say the words. I lay my sins on Jesus. I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. The spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees them. He bears them all and frees them from the accursed load. From the accursed load. Repeat that again. From the accursed load. From the accursed load. I bring my guilt to, in Jesus. To Jesus. I bring my guilt to Jesus. To wash my crimson stain. To wash my crimson stains. White in his blood most precious. White in his blood most precious. Till not a spot remains. Stain, stain remains. Still not a stain remains. Repeat that with me. Till not a stain. Till not a stain remains. Isn't that beautiful? We could bring our sins, we can bring our guilt to Jesus, but the only way we can do it is if we know what we're bringing. How many of you all today, and the Holy Spirit is moving on hearts, I know that, the angels are watching, how many of you today want God to help you to deal with sin in your own lives? See if you're bold enough. I know I do. I have some things in my life that I want to be able to deal with. And I don't want to be too offended if someone points it out. I don't want to be like Adam blaming Eve and then blame Eve blaming the serpent when their sins were, were pointed out. I want to be open with the Lord because I don't want a spot of sin to remain. And I pray that that is the same with you. Do you all still love me? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. I just wanted to know. This is just a burden for me. That's why I had to talk about this. I, I see the end results, and I see what's happening in families. I see what happen, what's happening in churches. And the Holy Spirit says, you're going to 3ABN. This is the best opportunity to get this out worldwide. I'm doing it. Thank you, CA. You know, I didn't want to talk for, um, should I be saying this? I'm too open with you all. I didn't want to do Sabbath school. When, when CA Murray emailed me and said, well, you'd be doing Sabbath school. I said, Sabbath school? You have Pastor Dwight Nelson? You have Pastor Stephen Moore? And you want me to do Sabbath school? He said, yes. And I tried to get out of it. He said, nope, you're doing Sabbath school. CA, that's why they have him here as the per person that he does, because he's good at what he does. But seriously, uh, this was a burden, and I pray that it, it's a burden for you and that you will do something with it. As the time goes on, let's bow our heads for prayer. We have to do that. Father, I thank you so much that you've given me the boldness to be able to share my burden with your waiting people. Lord, I just plead and pray that you may help us to recognize the importance of calling out sin, not only for others, but for ourselves. For those who are leaders, Father, I just pray that you may give them the boldness and the courage to speak out for you. And even when we're not leaders in our own little spheres, that we may be able to go to people and lovingly talk to them about what they may do differently. And then starting with ourselves, give us what we need to hear your Holy Spirit's voice to say, this is the way, walk ye in it. We thank you for this privilege and we just praise your name for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse. 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.